following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, and the context of this we really need to see comes out of what, what's previous. So let me read. I'm not going to read all of uh, the first part of the sermon. But let me read just these, these words. God blesses you who are poor, in verse 20, um, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. And then he says... What blessing awaits you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leave for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. And remember that the ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. Okay, that's the context of what he uh, is about to say in uh, verse 27, and we'll get to that in a moment. But first, let's give a brief history lesson. Jesus promised that this path to blessing would also be a path to persecution and being hated. Okay, and I'm sure all of us signed up right there. Oh yeah, I love that part. Bring on the persecution, right? And honestly, most of us sitting in this room, probably not everybody, but most of us sitting in this room really have no idea what that's about. Uh, we have not been anybody's enemies because of Christ, right? Uh, first 300 years of Christianity, it was very true. And in the early church, to be a Christian instantly made you an enemy of the state. And uh, not only of the, the government of Rome, but of Roman citizens in general, saw you as somehow traitorous, uh, betraying Rome by taking on really a new emperor, Jesus Christ who was supreme over the emperor of Rome, and they saw you as a traitor. And so instantly, whether you were killed or persecuted or not, you were an enemy. And if people found out you were a Christian, often their first response, their first reaction was just to hate you, right? Before they even got to know you, they hated you. Uh, And it was not easy following Christ back then. And even harder if you were bold in your witness, which the early church was. They did not back down, but they boldly proclaimed Christ, even though it brought great hatred and persecution. Um, and, and since then, in many places of the world, of course, we know that along came Constantine, legalized Christianity, all became a big happy party. And, and to a large extent, in much of the world, it got easier for Christians, but not everywhere. And we know that even up to this very day, there are many countries where being a Christian will bring great hostility upon you. Uh, certainly any countries uh, where communism ruled. Communism had a goal to wipe out Christianity, to wipe out religion in general, but especially Christianity. And so some of you have been and worked in those countries, still work in those countries, and you know the hostility, the animosity that can exist towards Christians. Uh, of course, in our day in the, uh, in the Muslim world, the Islams have declared a holy war on Christianity. Not exactly a new thing. <laughs> it's been a very long-standing holy war. Uh, but they're very aggressive and very uh, outward in their open display of hostility towards Christians. And uh, that's a reality we live in. And some of you work in those countries. But for most of us who have lived and grown up in the West, uh, whatever country that may be, 
we've enjoyed about 500 years of relative peace. And the reason for that is that Christianity kind of became sanctioned by society as the religion. Uh, It's not a mistake that in, in the United States of America, up until just the most recent president, that to, in order to get elected, you had to be, at least in word, a Christian, right? Uh, you had to profess somehow that you followed Jesus, or you had no shot at being uh, elected to the highest office of that country, right? Things have changed, right? Things have changed. But that's how it used to be. And so for those of us in the West, honestly, being a Christian hasn't really meant instant enemies for us, right? We live in a society that considers Christians to be upstanding, respectable, honorable people, in spite of a few rogue televangelists, you know. Up until recently, we were uh, considered kind of the center of society. Um, However, uh, just within the last few years, uh, that has changed. And, And... like it or not, believe it or not, in the West, and this may be happening in, in other Western countries faster than, than some, but the, the reality is that we became, just recently, in many respects, enemies of the state. And it's all because of a black and white cow. Right? You believe me? Black and white cow. I'm telling the truth. At least in America. Okay? Other countries may be different, but in, in, in America, it's the result of a black and white cow. And this black and white cow holds up a big sign that says, eat more chicken, right? Right? The United States is a chain of restaurants, for those of you who've never been there, a chain of restaurants called Chick-fil-A, right? Now, what has Chick-fil-A got to do with becoming Christians, becoming enemies of the state? Well, this is how it happened a year ago, just about exactly a year ago. The uh, founder and owner of Chick-fil-A is a very strong Christian man. His name's uh, Dan Cathy. And uh, somebody asked him, cornered him, and said, what is your opinion on marriage? Right? And this is at a time when in the United States right now, uh, there's a big, huge push for the rights of gay people to, to marry. And so Dan, uh, Kathy told his opinion. He said, well, I believe, as a Christian, that God designed marriage between a man and a woman. Right? Well, this set off this huge firestorm, right? And all of a sudden... the the whole country was divided into two huge camps. Those who supported the cow and those who hated the cow, right? Supporters of the cow uh, marshaled behind Chick-fil-A and began eating three meals a day, seven days a week at Chick-fil-A, right? Morning, morning, noon, and night, right? And honestly, Chick-fil-A's business was better than ever, right? At the same time, those who hated the cow began protesting outside the store and boycotted Chick-fil-A, right? and hated Chick-fil-A, and, and hurled all kinds of insults at the cow, right? Death to the cow, right? Eat less chicken. Eat beef. I don't know. Um, I don't think they're eating beef either, because a lot of them are vegan, but that's another story. Point is, there's this huge war, right? Huge conflict. Um, and the result of it was this. If you like the cow, people hate you, Right? And I'm not exaggerating, okay? I'm not exaggerating, right? And it's not just gay people that hate you, right? Anybody who identifies you as a cow lover, somebody who eats a Chick-fil-A, right? You are now considered an enemy of society. You don't believe me? Listen to this. A year later, 
about a year later. Uh, I got this uh, email, actually, from my daughter, who lives in the United States, and she likes the cow. <laughs> um, this is what she writes. Okay, this is what she writes. Hi, Daddy. I love that. Today, I was hanging out with one of my neighbor ladies who has a little boy, and when I said I was going to eat lunch at Chick-fil-A, she said she didn't care for them. Then later, she said she didn't care for them as a company, not just the sandwich. Also, in previous conversations, she mentioned she had a gay sister-in-law. So now I believe that she is against Chick-fil-A because of the statement concerning traditional marriage last year. Uh, This is on my mind because I'm trying to figure out how to be a light for God and not be afraid of offending people. I want to show people the picture of God and how sometimes I'll have to do just that. Uh, I'm sorry, and how he loves people. I don't want to drive people away by saying... By saying... Wow. Hello? Hello? I don't want to drive people away by saying something, but I guess... Wow, that's just really driving me crazy. Way too much feedback up here. Hello? Better. Okay. I don't want to drive people away by saying something, but I guess sometimes I'll have to do just that. It's hard to always know what God is telling me to say. I'm so used to my friends having similar beliefs that I have a hard time working through my conversations with those who don't. Mostly we talk of other things, but I don't know if I should have said or asked more or said something different. Uh, Maybe some of you had these kind of conversations, maybe not about Chick-fil-A, but the truth is now that as Christians, by taking certain stands on certain moral issues and values, we are considered instantly an enemy of society. And if if you haven't experienced it yet, brace yourself. Because it's coming, right? Uh, America and the Western world is not going to go backward. Okay, It's going to increase its polarity and its resistance to, uh, up to this point, very commonly held Christian values and beliefs. Right? And so just calling yourself a fan of Chick-fil-A is going to make people hate you. Saying you go to church, and especially if you go to the kind of church that talks about stuff like sin, people are going to hate you, right? It's the world that we are coming into. And many of you know this already. Many of you work in countries where uh, people are persecuted. In Thailand, if you work with people here, you know that uh, when people give their life to Christ, it comes with persecution and rejection. So very much what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is true. Blessed are you when people hate you and reject you and say all kinds of evil things about your name. Uh, now, what's important to understand is the reason they hate you is because you are being, as, as Jesus says, a prophet. You are identifying yourself. You are embracing the gospel in its full message. And you are claiming it as your own, and you are proclaiming it to those around you. Which means you believe people are sinful, that they are under God's wrath and judgment because of that sin, that God's promised He will judge them and send them to, not Phuket, <laughs> to hell eternally, right? And that the only way to avoid that wrath and judgment is to accept God's loving and free gift of grace. That's the gospel. 
that Jesus died to pay for our sin and the only way to redemption, the only way to restore right relationship is through Jesus Christ. All paths do not lead to heaven. All paths do not lead to God. Right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. No one comes to the Father but by me. By claiming those things, you now become an enemy with an ever-growing segment of the world and society. So Jesus, uh, in the, as he continues on in his sermon, speaks with what we're supposed to do with that, right? As you uh, proclaim Christ, as you live out the gospel, and you start making enemies for yourself, what do you do with that? Chances are, now, now some of you, for some of you, this is a gift. It's a spiritual gift. You have the gift of being obnoxious and the gift of being just naturally offensive. And you're just good at making enemies wherever you go, and it has nothing to do with Jesus, right? It just has to do with your obnoxious personality. I won't name you, but you know who you are, right? Uh, some of us are kind of that way. Some of us naturally just kind of rub people the wrong way, right? But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Now, of course, all of us are to be loving. Okay, this is also not talking about those of you who have made enemies for yourself in your home and your church and your Christian ministry organization because you're constantly fighting with everybody. That's not the context of this, right? Jesus would say something much different to you. He would say, if you had been loving people like I called you to, you wouldn't have quite so many enemies. You actually might have a few more friends, right? That's not what he's talking about here. Okay, the context of this passage is what happens when because of your faith in Christ, because of your commitment to the gospel, it, it causes people to hate you. Now, of course, many of the things that Jesus says would apply regardless of how we got enemies. But it's important to see it in that context. And basically, Jesus, in this uh, first section, he, he looks at two ways we respond. The first is to love without limits. Second, to love without rights. So let's look at that real quick and start by reading chapter 6, verses 27 through 31. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. First of all, looking at loving without limits. Uh, Jesus says uh, to you who are listening, and I think after what he's just said about choosing two paths, he's identifying those who are willing to at least consider the path of the kingdom, the path of following God. And he's, Jesus says to those who are still with me, those who haven't abandoned yet, who have chosen that path, right? to you I say, love your enemies. Right? And again, he's just explained, he's just identified who it is that hates them. Right? It's those who hate them because they have taken the role of a prophet. They've embraced the gospel and are following Christ. Um, we are to love these people. Uh, we are to bless them. Um, one of the things that we've got to understand here is that uh, in our day and age, with increasing pressure, right, 
from hostile society that doesn't want to hear the gospel. It's very tempting to, to, to think this way, to think, well, I will love people, I'll serve people, I'll do, I'll do good things to people, I'll be a good citizen, I'll be a good neighbor, I will be polite. But, you know, when I talk to people about Jesus, they just throw things at me, right? They yell at me, they get all emotional, right? So, love must mean not, not confronting them with their sin and their need for Christ. Jesus would say to that, that is not loving your enemies, right? That is caving in, and it's actually doing everything but loving them. Uh, I'm amazed, though, you know, it, people go on mission. You know, they, they're called to other countries. They go to places all over the world uh, to be missionaries, right, to serve God, to be prophets, but who go and do all kinds of good things, set up children's homes, they help rescue prostitutes. They feed the poor. They take care of the hungry. All kinds of good things, right? But never proclaim the gospel. And they say, well, we don't want to offend people, right? We just are going to show them God's love, right? Tell you what, if you're just showing them God's love or you're not explaining God's love, it's going to go right by them, Right? They're going to think you're just a good Buddhist, because that's what Buddhists do, right? That they're going to think you're just a good moral person, because that's what good moral people do. Right? If you are not explaining to them what it takes to leave a path of sin and walk down that path towards the kingdom, if you do not explain to them the damaging effects of their own sins and the judgment of God upon it, and you do not put before them the cross of Christ, the only way of salvation, how can you call what you are doing for them love? Right? They are dying and going to hell. And to withhold from them the truth that can save them is not loving them. It would be like a person going to minister to AIDS patients who has medicine that would not cure them, but help them immensely. And they love them, they, they, they feed them, they bandage them all the time keeping the medicine in their pocket and never once offering it to them. Right? That's what it is to withhold from them the message of the gospel. I've used this illustration before, but I like it, so I'm going to use it again. Right? It's like going on a, out on a rescue ship out into the middle of the Pacific Ocean where you come across people who have been shipwrecked and are bobbing up and down in the ocean, and you jump into the water and you teach them how to do the back float right? so they don't sink. Right? And you hop back on the boat and you leave them to, to just drown slower. <laughs> right? And you say, go, be warmed and filled. I loved you. Right? I helped you. I feel good. I hope you feel good. I feel good. Right? And you don't actually show them how to get into the, to the boat and be saved, to be rescued. Could that, in any form, be love? No. Right? That can't be loving. Jesus says, love your enemies. And in the context here, I think he's saying, you know, they may not like it. They may throw stuff at you. In fact, they will probably hate you and reject you. They may kill you. But if you love your enemy, you will speak to them the truth of the gospel. You will boldly proclaim to them exactly the thing they don't want to hear because it is offensive. Now, we need to find ways to do it less offensively, right? We need to build bridges. We need to make the gospel 
so they can at least understand it. I'm not saying that. Uh, I remember when I was going to seminary, uh, at the bus stop, I would, I would ride the bus to school. Where I would catch the bus, there was this crazy guy with a Bible. Big, huge, like, family, you know, kill people Bible, right? And he would stand out of this bus station, pre- station preaching the gospel, right? But he did not preach it with an ounce of love, right? I think he was kind of like Jonah. He was out there preaching, hoping these people would go to hell, right? Hoping to bring condemnation on them. And I would kind of, you know, hide from this guy. Um, I don't think that's what, what he's talking about here. But he's saying love, if you really love people, at some point you will love them enough to communicate to them the truth of who Jesus is. And that's loving them. Okay? That's loving God and loving people enough to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is. Graciously, carefully, in a way that people can ex- understand even if they are not willing to accept. All right, so that's first thing. He says, love your enemies. Love them, right? Uh, but he goes on and he says also, uh, in addition to that, you, you are to do good to those who hate you. Right? So you speak the gospel, it's offensive. Uh, people ask you what you think about gay marriage. And you say, well, you know, I just don't think that's how God invented it in the, in the garden. You know, and actually... I love gay people, but, you know, I happen to think it's sin. Just like any guy who's unfaithful to his wife, right? Just like any kind of sex outside of marriage, right? I'm not picking on just gay people. Sex in all those forms is sin, right? God sanctioned it within the context of a husband and wife in marriage, right? I don't hate people, but I do think it's sin, okay? Brings on you wrath and hatred, Right? How do you respond to that? Well, Paul says, you do good to them, right? You find ways to show love and kindness to them, right? You don't run away. You don't hide. You you actively and aggressively find ways to be nice to them, right? You you do good to them. Um, You know, offer to take him out to Chick-fil-A and buy lunch or something. (laughs) Or not, right? You do kind things to them. Do good things. He goes on, he says, uh, bless those who curse you. To bless means to invoke God's favor on them. To call down God's favor. Bless those who curse you. Um, The ultimate blessing is salvation, right? We, We work, we strive, we keep building relationship where we can in order to, to keep the gospel before them. To keep encouraging them with the truth of what Jesus can do for them. Many of you may have a testimony like this, and and certainly you've heard it, of guys who were hostile against the gospel over and over, and some stubborn, loving, bullheaded person kept telling them about Jesus until after sometimes months or years, it clicks, right? And they are blessed with salvation. Bless those who curse you. Finally, he says, pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who hurt you. You know, it is hard enough to pray for uh, our friends. You know, honestly, uh, I don't pray enough for even the people most close to me. Uh, It takes a bit of sacrifice, diligence, and commitment to pray for people. He says, pray for these enemies. Pray for their salvation. Pray for God's blessing in their lives. Pray for their uh, for help and prosperity and goodness. Pray for them. Pray for them. Right. 
uh, on your prayer list, how many enemies are you praying for? Right? How many lost people who hate you are you praying for? It says pray for them. Um, what does this look like in real life? Well, interestingly, Dan Cathy, founder and director of Chick-fil-A, last summer when all this was going on and he was being called an absolute you know, unpatriotic, hateful, bigoted, prejudiced, no good Christian. Um, this is what he did. And this, this article is written by a lady who, who um, is talking about it. So let me just read. He says, Jesus offers a counterintuitive proposal. Jesus says, love your enemies. This mantra is often quoted but rarely lived out. We say, love our enemies, but then go back to our, our bunker, maybe with a superficial smile, but without stopping to apply Jesus' words. Dan Cathy, Chick-fil-A's chief operating officer, became the latest big-name example of someone who took this command seriously and initiated a conversation with and ultimately befriending a LGBT, which stands for a lesbian, gay, bi, trans, a gay person, uh, activist. Last summer, as heated controversy erupted over Kathy's refusal to support gay marriage, as expected, many of us retreated to our pre-existing trenches. We declared whether or not we'd ever eat a Chick-fil-A, uh, or uh, uh, we stood, you know, some stood by the restaurant in appreciation, or some boycotted in disgust. All right, we did what we were good at, opposing our enemies. But while we were busy fighting, Dan Cathy slipped unnoticed into potentially hostile territory, not for a counterattack. A campus pride director and gay advocate, an openly gay man named Shane Windermere, came out as Kathy's friend in an article this guy, Shane Windermere, wrote for Huffington Post, describing how Kathy had reached out uh, to hear more about LGBT concerns regarding his company. In the midst of this unprecedented dialogue, Windermere writes, Dan expressed a sincere interest in my life wanting to get to know me on a personal level. He wanted to know where I grew up. He wanted to know about my faith, my family, even my husband, husband Tommy. In return, I learned about his wife and kids and gained an appreciation for his devout belief in Jesus Christ and his commitment to being a follower of Christ more than a Christian. He continues, and this is this gay guy writing, Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A, but he offered no apologies for his genuine beliefs about marriage. So here's a guy that does this exact thing. He's under huge attack. He doesn't retreat. He doesn't fight back. He goes, he meets this gay activist, and he befriends him. He prays for him. He blesses him. That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be doing. In fact, I think Jesus would say, we need to be identifying these groups that most hate us. Right? Some individuals, right? some, of, some of the people in your family who hate you because of your stand for Christ. It's also in society certain groups of people. Certainly the whole LGBT, whatever that means, the gay people, hate Christians. Right? Muslims hate Christians. There's these groups of people who expressly hate us. We ought to be making efforts. We ought to be going out of our way to extend grace and love and compassion, especially to these people. 
Second thing Jesus says, He says we should love without limits. He says we should love without rights. Right? He says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as they, you would like them to do to you. Um, the first group who hate us tend to be people who are powerful, maybe, who are vocal, who uh, are aggressive, right? who just blatantly attack us. The second group, though, is a different kind of group. And these are people who may be just as hostile. However, they tend to be poorer, weaker, and in more desperate need of help. Right? And these people and Christians have always matched up quite well. Because gener- Christians tend to be generous. We tend to take this command literally, and we do do good to those who hate us. Right? So for poor people and weak people and oppressed people, they like Christians who do this. Right? And they are way more than happy to take advantage of us. Right? to use us uh, to, to their own selfish ends. So Jesus addresses these people, and he says this. Second, uh, first thing, and basically Jesus says, real love has no rights. Right? We are all about rights. We want to be protected. We want to be looked after. We want our stuff to be taken care of. And Jesus says, the kind of love I'm talking about has no rights. You do not have the right to defend yourself. So he says, if somebody smacks you on the face, offer your other cheek. Right? You lay down your right to defend yourself. Uh, literally, uh, you know, this could this could take many forms. What does it mean to get hit in the face? Does it mean you know somebody comes at you with a baseball bat? Probably not that extreme. And likely, the what's being pictured here is uh, uh, people who were being expelled from the synagogue. And the way this would work. Uh, they made this a very shameful thing. So if you're a Christian, you profess to follow Christ, and the Jews in Jesus in, in Paul's day, Jesus' day, they want to expel you. They call you into the synagogue. They bring you up front, and they would do all kinds of humiliating things to you. And one of them is they would backhand you across the face. They would slap you on the face, right? And it was meant not so much to, you know, break anything, but it was very humiliating. It was very shameful. It was very, very insulting. Uh, and, and Jesus says, when they insult you, when they shame you, when they abuse you, you don't fight back, you don't defend yourself, you do what? You offer the other cheek. In other words, uh, you keep doing what you are doing to proclaim Christ. You keep showing kindness and love and grace, even though they may take advantage of it and slap you in the face. In fact, you know, we, we use this expression when somebody has really taken advantage of us, don't we? When you've been really kind to somebody and you've gone out of your way to be helpful and to love them and they do something horrible back to you, what do we, what do we say? We say, that was a real slap in the face, right? Uh, that was a real rejection. And honestly, it hurts more inwardly often than it does outwardly, right? Uh, many of you have had this experience where you have poured your life into helping and loving and giving some poor person, some needy person. Uh, maybe you're, you're May Bond, you know. You've loaned her countless money. You've helped her. You've bailed her out of, you've rescued her. You've done, she's faithfully served you for many, many years. And you've poured your life. You've shared the gospel. You've tried to bring her to Christ. 
and you find out she's been stealing from you, right? And it is a slap in the face. Um, one of our projects, Home of the Swallow, takes in uh, teen moms, pregnant and, and young teen moms. Some of these girls are 15, 16 years old. They pour their lives into these girls, and they try to get them back on their feet. They try to help them be better moms. They give them skills. And often, as they share Christ and as they try to help them, these moms show their deep appreciation and thankfulness by, after two or three months, bailing out, going back to their drug addict, uh, drug-selling boyfriend who got them pregnant. Um, and, and it hurts, right? And the staff feel this huge slap in the face that they have been betrayed, right? And two or three months goes by, and what happens to these girls? Well, they realize that the boy that was a jerk before is still a jerk, right? He's still a loser. So they come back to the home and they want help, right? And even though they betrayed and hurt the staff, they, they come and they want another chance, right? So what do you do? Knowing you will probably be taken advantage of again, you offer the other cheek, right? You show grace and compassion. You forgive and you keep on loving, even though they will probably just take advantage of you. Uh, Jesus says, if somebody takes your coat, give them your underwear, literally, right? Literally, it's tunic, but it meant, it meant the undergarment worn closest to the body. Okay, just, 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 just so you know, this is probably not to be taken literally, Jesus is not saying it's okay to walk around naked, just, just so you know that, right? <laughs> but he's making a point. Somebody rips you off, right? <coughs> your Maybon, or somebody you're ministering to, and they steal you, they cheat you, they take your stuff. Jesus says, offer them what's left, right? They take your outer coat, offer them your, under, your undercoat. All right, kids, time for your story. I have a story for you. You're going to like this one. So fourth and sixth graders, up front, quickly. <clears throat> All right, this story actually comes from, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fiction story. Do you guys know what fiction is? Do you guys know what fiction is versus nonfiction? What's fiction? A fake story, not true. So this is this is not a true story, just so you know. But it's it's a classic story that comes from a long, long time ago from a, a French novel called Les Miserables, right? And it's one of my favorite stories from this book. And in this story, the main character's name is Jean Valjean. And he was in prison for about 20 years for stealing. And during his 20 years in prison, he became a very mean, horrible, angry person. And uh, after he'd finally uh, served all of his term, he was released from prison and he was given a very small little bag of money, uh, hardly enough to live on, and he was set free to go. So he wandered throughout France trying to get back to his home. And um, he came one night to a village and uh, he was very hungry. He'd been walking all day and had anything to eat all day long and he was starving. And he had a little bit of money to buy some food. And he just, more than anything else, he wanted a bed to sleep on and some bread. He was so hungry, he would have taken just one piece of bread. Um, so he went to a, an inn, and they had room. And he said, can I rent a room? And the lady said, yeah. 
And he was so excited he had a room. And he sat down. He said, I'm really starving. Can I have some, some supper? And she said, well, I'm cooking supper. Just wait a minute and it'll be ready. So while he's sitting there, some people start looking around and they start asking about him. And they find out that he's an ex-convict who's been released from prison. And uh, the people went to the innkeeper and they said, this guy is, a, is an ex-convict who was in prison. You can't let him stay here. If he stays here, we will all leave. So they told the innkeeper that, and the innkeeper said, came and said, I'm sorry, I don't have a room for you, and you can't eat here. And they kicked him out on the street. Now, he was already mad, angry, and hungry. Do you think that made him feel better? No, that made him madder and angrier. So he went to another inn, tried to get a, a room there, same thing. They refused him because he was an ex-convict, a prisoner. Uh, so he didn't know what to do, and he was very angry, very angry. So he saw a light on in a, a little church. So he went to the church, and he did not like Christians. He did not believe in God. Uh, he felt like God had failed him in every way. But he thought, well, maybe they will at least give me food. So he knocked on the door of the church, and the, the pastor of the church came and welcomed him in. And he brought him in. He said, you can stay in my house. You can stay in my, in my own bed, and uh, I'll feed you. And so they set before him a big bowl of soup. And, man, he ate that whole bowl. And he ate another bowl and another bowl until he was just stuffed. And then he was super tired and he was cold. So the pastor took him to his own bedroom and showed him his bed where he could stay. And he laid down. And as he was laying down, the, 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 the maids that helped this pastor brought in all the silver plates and bowls that he had eaten with. And uh, Jean Valjean looked at all this silver and he goes, that's worth a lot of money. And he saw right in the room where he was staying where they stacked all these silver plates and silver spoons and silver forks. And in that day, that was worth a lot of money. So you know what he did? After this pastor showed such kindness and favor to him, in the middle of the night when everyone was, was asleep, he snuck into the room, uh, into the cabinet. He took all of the pastor's silver plates and, and knives and forks, and he stole them and he ran away. Was that being very thankful? No. So how do you think this pastor felt? Well, later that night, in the middle of the night, the police caught Jean Valjean. And here's this escaped convict, I mean, not escaped, this prisoner, with this bag full of silver plates and forks and knives. What do you think the police thought? Do you think they thought he stole it? They thought this guy had to have stolen this stuff because he was wearing rags, had no clothes, hardly had any money. So they took this guy and they took him back to the town and they asked around and they found out he'd been staying with the pastor. And they took him to the pastor's house and they kicked the door in and they drug him in there and they got the pastor up and they said, do you know this man? And the pastor looked at him and he goes, well, yes, I do. He stayed with me tonight and I gave him supper. And they said, do you recognize all these dishes? And they dumped out the bag with all of his plates. And he says, yes, I do. Those are my plates and that's my cup and my silverware. And they go, see, we knew this man stole from you and we're going to send him back to jail. Do you know what the pastor did? He said, oh no, he didn't steal those. In fact, I gave them to him. And then he turned to Jean Valjean and the pastor had two very large, solid silver candlestick holders. He took the two candlestick holders and he said, Jean Valjean, you know what? You forgot the candlesticks I gave you. And he gave him the candlesticks and he says, now, please go, and God bless you. And the police couldn't put him in jail because the pastor said he gave it to them. What do you think that did to Jean Valjean? Did it make him mad? 
he was shocked. In fact, it took him several days to figure out what had happened. But eventually, he changed his heart because he experienced grace and forgiveness. Good story? You like it? I love that story. Thank you. Um, great picture, right, of, of being taken advantage of, right? Of, you know, of loving those who would rip us off and responding not in vindictiveness, not in protecting our rights, but in grace in giving even more. Lastly, Jesus says this. He says, um, uh, when things are taken away, give to anyone who asks. When things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Last thing, you know, we, we love the right to own everything. <laughs> we love the right to our stuff. Jesus says, true love has no ownership, right? Um, it's, it's ironic that people in the West who have the most material wealth and possession are also the most the least likely to give and to share. We love our stuff, right? We love our stuff. Uh, Jesus says, loan, give, share, and don't worry about how it comes back, right? How many times have you loaned something, thinking in the back of your head, it's going to come back broken, they're going to wreck it, right? And sure enough, they bring it back, and it's broken, right? And how do we feel about that? I'm not going to loan them anything ever again, right? Right? Jesus says, loan, lend, borrow, and don't worry about it, right? Uh, Probably the backdrop of this is giving alms to the poor, people begging on the street, asking for money, asking for a loan, asking for help. Jesus says we should be generous with our stuff. That doesn't mean we can't own stuff. We can own stuff, sure. Should we be willing to share it with others? We better. Should we worry about what condition it comes back or if it comes back at all? No. Okay, that's the kind of doing good, the kind of giving, the kind of loving. Okay, it's an extraordinary kind of love. It is not natural. It is not how people normally do it. But Jesus says, this is the life I call you to. So how do we do this? Really, right? How do we... How do we just give away our stuff and not worry about getting it back, right? Not, not get frustrated when it's broken. Well, he finishes with these words. He says, do to others as you would like them to do to you. As you want people to treat you, you do to them, right? Uh, Jesus himself did this to us, right? He showed us grace. Right? And, and the, the truth is, you can't do this if you do not understand the generosity of God's grace and love in our own life. Um, it's only as we grow in grace and grow to experience His abundant love that we can really love. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.